So here you are, you're standing at the baggage carousel at the airport and you're watching that, that luggage belt spit out bag after bag, luggage piece after luggage piece, a brown one, a purple one, a green one, a black one, a brown one, another black one, no, no, no. And they go around and around the carousel getting dizzy until someone picks them up and you're seeing all the other people on your flight, you recognize them from your flight and they're, they're plucking their, their luggage off and you're, you're still waiting and waiting and watching and, and then they don't, they're not spitting out anymore and it's just the ones on the carousel going around and yours is not there. But you wait. You, you know, you, you wait forlornly for, for your bag. And there's maybe three or four bags left and kind of all the people have scattered so now there's these orphan bags that don't have owners and you're like, well, why? I want my bag and it's not there and you kind of hope it might appear and it never does and you have to deal with the discombobulation of lost luggage. Which means if you're somewhere on a trip and, and this is uh, where you're going on vacation, you're going to be without your favorite hairbrush or, or your favorite shirt until that, that luggage catch up, catches up with you. It just makes it all a pain. So what do you do? What have savvy travelers learned to do? Yeah, you, you don't check your bags anymore, right? You, you stuff this, this roller bag just plump full of everything that you get in there and then you take a carry-on that's, that's just as full or more that barely fits under the seat and everybody does this on your flight and so now when you fly, you need to wait for everybody to try to pack the overhead bins to the gills full of their stuff because people aren't checking bags anymore. It just gets to be a big mess. So the pain of, of bringing luggage with you is almost as much as the pain of lost luggage. Now airlines, you know, they'll let you check it at the gate sometimes. Are you one of those people who packs carry-on bags and stuffs them full of stuff? Maybe overstuffs them? Like so the overhead compartment lid thing doesn't even close because your stuff is in there? There's people who carry a lot of stuff. All of us people carry too much stuff. A roller bag of resentment. A handbag of hate. A flight bag of frustration with other people. Maybe it's time for us to lose our luggage. Time for us to, to give that up, to not carry it on, to not check it, to not bring it along, to get rid of it. That's what the Apostle Paul asks of the Ephesians when he's writing his letter to the church in Ephesus. And this is a church where, where Paul writes to other congregations because there are serious problems in those churches, but not really in Ephesus. There's not really a serious problem in Ephesus, a doctrinal issue, a, a personnel issue that Paul has to address. It's, and it's a mature church, and so Paul's writing to them, and what does he decide to write to this when there's really no problems? He, he writes, I think, I think it would be good to lose some luggage, because Paul knows people, and he knows sinners, and he knows God's believers, and there's really stuff for all of us to get rid of. Uh, he, earlier, this is what Paul writes, he says, put off your old self. Take it off. Lose this luggage. And then he uses words like deceitful, angry, 
unwholesome, bitter. He's describing our old self. And he's saying, don't be weighed down by, by all of this bad baggage. Get rid of it so that, Paul writes earlier, you can put on your new self to be like God and to righteousness and holiness. And then he, and then he has this list. And, and that's where then Ephesians 4.32 comes in. I read the section to you earlier. And that's where the verse that we're considering today comes in, where Paul writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Kind and compassionate to one another, those words mean that when you forgive someone, it starts out really as a feeling of sorts, or if the original Greek word really means a, a movement in your belly. For the Greeks, their, their feelings were here in their belly, not here. We say, for us, our feelings in our heart, they use, they use their belly as the... And the word for, for compassion is kind of onomatopoetic. It's splunkna. It just sounds like good intestines. Um, but for them, the seat of their emotions was, their, was what was inside their belly. Their, you might say their bowels, okay? And that's the word for compassion here. Be kind and compassionate. And that means a, a movement of my emotions. I, I, I moved. We would say something like, my heart hurts. All right? My heart hurts. Like you might feel when you see a YouTube video of little baby sea turtles poking their heads out of the sand and there's like 18 of them and then there's 30 of them and then there's a million and four of them, right? And there's, and there's poking their little heads out and the, their little flapper things, their little head, and they come and, and there's like, they're squirreling all over and then finally the, it, they, they kind of catch their way to where they need to go to the water. They, but God, God's built in them this instinct and they're headed to the water and you know as someone who has studied science... That's a very dangerous journey, not just from that nest across the sand to the water, but once they get in the water, they're pretty helpless and pretty good bait for a lot of fish. Your heart, you're watching those cute little baby turtles, and your heart is like, oh, I hope every one of them makes it, but I know they won't. That, that feeling is what the Bible says when it says be kind and compassionate. Do you feel that? You and I feel that way about baby turtles and we don't feel that way about other human beings. And the Bible says that's wrong. We need to have that feeling, that kind and compassionate feeling. And then the feeling turns into action. And that action for us today is forgiveness. But it's not just action only. It's both feeling, heart movement, and action. So it's not like mom and dad took you and you, you're arguing with your brother or you and your brother were fighting and they caught you and, the, and your dad had one of you around the neck here and one of you around the neck here and he said, all right, now say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry. I'm sorry. All right, now go play. And you go back to fighting. Right? This is not, that's not what forgiveness is described here. It, it has a deep emotion to it. It has an act of compassion to it. And it's helpful for the other person and it's meaningful. Elsewhere, Jesus uh, taught this forgiveness this way. Uh, he said, forgive us our debts. This is in one place where Jesus is teaching us the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And he goes on to explain it and says this, for, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will for, also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What would happen if God forgave you just like you forgive other people? Is that kind of a scary thought? We can't escape the conditional nature of, of this petition. And that's what makes the fifth petition different than all other petitions in the Lord's Prayer. All the other ones, we, we lie out there, give us our daily bread, God, your will be done. We, we throw out there and they feel good and they're powerful and we want it. And then, there, then there's this one. It's the only one in the Lord's Prayer where there's a condition attached to it. There's strings attached to this petition. And we're telling this to God. When we pray it, we say, God, I'm going to ask you to forgive me, but there's strings attached to this. There's a condition on it. And here's the condition, God. I don't want you to forgive me any differently than how I forgive other people. That's how I want you to forgive me. That's what you're saying in the Lord's Prayer. Is that what you really want? It's not what I always really want when I'm honest with myself. And I think about my frustration with others. I think about my sinful pride. God, forgive me, just like, I, just like I feel about all those people on the road who cut me off all the time, rush hour traffic. I want you to feel the same way about me, God. I got, God, I, want, I just want you to, to view me like I, like I view my boss who's a jerk or my neighbor who's an idiot. That's what we're saying. That's what makes the fifth petition so difficult and dangerous in this prayer. So, so the fifth petition is, is a petition in the Lord's Prayer for the mature. For the mature believer who, who doesn't run from this condition, doesn't try to bury it in some way, doesn't try to say, oh, that, that doesn't exist, just pretend that it's not there. It's there! We have to deal with this. We have to deal with the conditional nature of the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer. And we have to deal with this, that there's a connection between human forgiveness, how I view others, how I treat others, how I'm willing to forgive them. There's a connection between that and divine forgiveness. God's forgiveness of me. There's this connection. How I view others, how I treat them, how I forgive them. You know that um, if you're an adult, you know that lecture that you've given to children, maybe your own children, maybe, maybe your grandchildren, maybe someone else's children, when, uh, when they misbehave and you're trying to rationalize with them in some way, which is a mistake, by the way, but that's another sermon. Uh, you're trying to rationalize with misbehaving little kids and, and you say, now, how would you like her to do to you what you did to her? How would that make you feel? Right? We use that logic with children. That is what Jesus is teaching us. He's, say, he's saying, God is saying to us, how, how would you like me to forgive you like you didn't really forgive that person? See, we know that logic because we use it on children. Now uh, God uses that with us and we can understand that logic. And know what I say? No, God. Don't, don't, don't forgive me like I forgive other people. 
Don't, don't treat me like I treat people who irritate me. Don't, don't, don't view me the way that I view others as so inferior and not as important as I am. Don't, God, please don't do it. But I, those words fall on deaf ears. They just fall to the ground because they are in, they're in disagreement with God's clear word and Jesus' clear teaching, which says, forgive us our sins just as, just like we forgive those who sin against us. We cannot escape that conditional nature. So here's the only option. I can't change God's word. I can't change Jesus' teachings. I can't dodge around this. I can't pretend it's not real because it is. Here's the only option. Folks, we need to change. We need to change how we forgive others, how we treat others, how we view others. We need to change and be in a good place there so that when we ask God to treat us the same way, He does. That's the bottom line. We need to change. So how do we do that? I'm going to show you a picture here of, uh, of the PGA Golf Championship at Whistling Straits in, uh, in Wisconsin. And uh, this is one of the holes there. Uh, you know, could you imagine yourself, uh, you know, getting on the tee box of this hole and just cranking it out and it just goes perfectly straight right down the fairway. Um, no, m my shot would go way, not just trickle into the water, would go way into the water, or uh, the, those tall, grassy weed things, right? That, that is a tough, narrow golf course, at least this golf hole. Narrow is not fun when you're playing golf, unless you're perfect. There's a saying that says, Jesus preached a way that is narrow. This is Jesus preaching and teaching. This is Jesus saying, forgive us our sins just like we forgive those who sin against... There's not, there's not a lot of room for error there. There's not a lot of room for stray shots. I need to for, forgive and to think of people in a very specific way. That's his teaching. All right, next picture is my preference for a golf course. This is the way to play golf. All right, this, put me here. I can, I can take four shots and get that ball into the hole in four shots, just like that previous hole had par four, probably. You know, uh, no, give me, give me four shots. Give me this, this golf course. This golf course is a forgiving golf course. And when something is forgiving, it makes room for error. Right? This makes room for this little girl shanking one off the edge of the club and boom, and it, but it goes off that little brick path, wall, and back, and eventually funnels everything toward the little hole. Especially that one at the end where you hit it up and it kind of goes into any of the size holes or rings and it has to go, kind of funnels it in. This is a forgiving golf hole right here. Margin for error. It, it compensates for mistakes. This is what is meant when we say Jesus, he preached a way that is narrow, but he loved a way that was wide. Now this course isn't wider in the sense of spatial width, but it is wider in the sense of it's forgiving. It 
compensates for error. It makes up for mistakes. Any of us could golf this, and uh, even the kids, right, and make a, make a four, make a par. Forgiving. That's the concept behind the word in Ephesians 4.32 when the Bible says, forgiving each other. It means we're, like a, like a golf hole can be forgiving. God wants us as his people to be forgiving. He wants us to make room for, for error in, in others. He wants us to have margin for, for moving a little according to their needs. He wants us to, to be there for when they make, make mistakes and don't make them pay for it. That's forgiving. Now here's the beauty. This verse says, Just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as. So how did God forgive you? God forgave you in Christ. And Christ is forgiving. He's, he makes room for your errors because he's on the cross and he's paying for them. And when he's on the cross, remember his words? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Those words of Jesus echo, echo even through the centuries, even to today. And the Father hears those words of Jesus. It's his prayer for you. Father, forgive them. And they echo, and those words echo, and the Father hears them, and he forgives. But they echo in a different way. Father, forgive them. Those words are echoing as Jesus' words that become your words. By faith, you take on everything that Jesus said and did. And so now when the Father listens to how you forgive others... And he observes how you forgive others. What he sees and what he hears is, Father, forgive them. And he says, oh, that's how they forgive. I can forgive them in the same way. Because he has forgiven you in Christ. He's made way for your mistakes by Christ on the cross. He's given margin for you to move to the left or the right by that, by that big price that Jesus pays that covers all of our sins, just as God forgave you in Christ. Um, I'm going to show you a verse here, Romans 8, verse 32. And it has the same word in it. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? There's that word, graciously give. That's that word, forgiving. Margin for error, room for mistake. Be graciously giving to others just as God is to us. And so here's why forgiveness and the fifth petition takes maturity. We need to be mature enough to be willing to be immature. And by that I mean we need to be mature enough to be willing to be weak. To be willing to not know it all. To be willing to humbly learn from God and admit our mistakes. Like that prayer from Ezra today. Right? We need to be mature enough to be able to back off. And Ephesians 5 verse 1. Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. So the question today is not just, what if God forgives you like you forgive others? The question is also, what does it look like? What happens 
when you forgive others the way that God forgives you, there's the change. There is the change you are looking for, and it comes from God himself, who forgives you in Christ, he promises. So, that's, that's the inspiration, that's the background behind it. Okay, that's the change necessary, it comes from God. Now I want to get really practical, and I want to address four of the most common myths I've heard about forgiveness in order to make sure that I'm redirecting and, and directing us into forgiveness and that there's no loopholes or misunderstanding about forgiveness. There's a quick four here, I'm going to show them to you. Number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. God does not ask you when you forgive to pretend like something bad didn't happen. He's not asking you to pretend that it didn't happen. He's asking you to actively choose to not remember. There's a difference. Okay? He's not asking you to forget it. This is like God himself, when the Bible says God knows everything, Every God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows when the last sparrow was who fell to the ground. He knows, every, he knows things that we will never figure out as a human race. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And yet the Bible says, God says to us, I remember your sins no more. How can a God who knows everything not remember my sins? Because he chooses not to. It's not just his knowledge. It's his will. It's his splankna. It's his feeling of compassion and pity that says, I'm not going to remember those sins. And that's what he's asking us to do with others. Number two, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Okay? Forgiveness is different than discipline or justice. There can be discipline and justice involved when there has been a sin committed, a crime committed. There, there can be punishment. Parents can punish and discipline their children and still forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did is okay. Forgiveness means that I'm okay. Forgiveness means no matter how bad you hurt me, God can make it better. No matter how much you make me hopeless, no matter how much I, I'm going to remember this terrible tragedy that you committed against me, God's going to make it okay. For now, in his mysterious way, forever and eternity, there will be no pain or suffering. I'll get through this because God loves me. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, we believe. That's myth number two. Myth number three, forgiveness is not ignoring the pain. Okay, it's not ignoring the pain, but it's delegating that pain to Jesus. If, if someone you love or you have a friend and they were hit by a drunk driver and it put them in the wheelchair the rest of their life, you, you can't ignore that. You, you are then. That's how you live the rest of your life. You can't ignore that. And God doesn't ask you to. But he does ask you not to use that pain or exploit it or, or to use it against others, but to let, let God handle that pain, that hurt, to give it to him and, and let him manage it and take care of it. Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, right? We bring our pains to him. Number four, forgiveness is not a project you complete. 
Okay, so don't think of forgiveness like a project. And then finally, oh, I get to the point, I have now forgiven that person who hurt me so bad. Oh, does that feel good? It's done. I forgive them. And the next day, you kind of feel cruddy about them. And then you feel cruddy about yourself. Oh, I was supposed to be done with the project, and now I'm not. All right, forgiveness is not a project. It's more of a process. Forgiveness is why we pray, God help me. So there's a difference then between, when, when thinking about forgiving someone, there's a difference between I can't and I won't. I'm troubled if I hear anyone ever say, I won't forgive. I will not. I refuse. It's an act, that's despising God. But I am encouraged when I hear someone say, I just can't forgive that person. I just don't know how I could ever do it. I just don't have it in my capacity to feel loving toward them like I feel toward baby turtles and to, put, and to act in a way that's good for them. I just don't have it in me. I, I love hearing that from people because that means that there is hope and they're looking for help. And those are the people who pray, God, help me forgive. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. That's what we're praying in the fifth petition. This is all God's work. That's the encouragement I want you to take from today when it comes to forgiveness. That when you pray, God, forgive me my sins just as I forgive those who sin against me. You're invoking God. You're saying, God, I need such help when it comes to forgiving others. Help me to remember how you've forgiven me and that will help me so I don't take revenge, so I don't have those angry thoughts, so I'm not frustrated at others. Um, I heard that last night from the lips of a 20-year-old man who was knifed here in Pflugerville last week. His name is Diamond Roberson. You probably, maybe you saw this on the news. There were police, law enforcement everywhere last week. And there was this household, Diamond and his dad, Byron. Uh, Byron was, was helping not just his son, but some of his son's buddies. They were staying there, and he was trying to just rebuild their lives a little bit. And one of them went wacky and started stabbing others in the home. Ended up killing Byron. Died on the front lawn of a neighbor and seriously wounding uh, Byron's son, Diamond. He has, a, he has staples from a big, huge slit all the way from his ear all the way down his shoulder and other wounds. He's, he, uh, last night he was there. There was a vigil for him and, and for, for Byron in the neighborhood, and uh, some of us from Holy Word were there. And I had the chance to speak with Diamond, this boy, this 20-year-old, who had to... You just have to be so tempted to be so bitter, so full of revenge. And, uh, and, and we were planning for him to say some words at the, at the vigil, at the balloon release. And so I was just coaching him a little bit, but before I coached him, I thought, oh, I'll just hear what he has to say, see how much coaching I have to do. He said, uh, so Diamond, what are you going to say when it's your turn to talk? He said, I'm going to say that it's not right to be angry, and it's not right to take revenge. That's, that's not what my dad taught me, and it's not what he would want. I, how do you get better than that? I didn't have to do any coaching for this young man. 
the power of his father laying this on his son's heart as to how you treat people even in this moment of rage when he was hurt and his dad was killed, for him to be able to say that shows the power of what a father can put on his children and change their lives. And now the Bible is saying to you, imitate your father. God, your Father, has laid this truth on you about how you can change and forgive others too. You remember that when you pray the fifth petition. And it'll all be good. It'll all be fine. And God will forgive you just as you forgive others. Because you forgive others in a righteous, Christ-like way. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know the way and you have shown us the way and the way to forgiveness is Jesus, our Savior. Impact and influence us with Jesus every day by our faith. Help him stay close to us and us stay close to him as we read our Bibles and come to him in prayer and come to you humbly asking, we need help with forgiveness and believing that you give that help in Jesus. We ask this blessing today, Lord, for us, for all our members here at Holy Word, for all Christians everywhere, that he help us to be more forgiving so that the world can see you through us. Amen.